if I can't see supercharged ambition, I'm out. Mm. Because I'm a minority partner plugging and supporting someone's supercharged ambition. Mm. And I think the resulting force of someone's supercharged ambition is their ability to obsess over getting something done so fast. Mm. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm making friends with Sharon Srivatsa. Sharon is the CEO of Highland Prime, which is a private equity company that helps businesses grow and exit. Currently, the portfolio that they manage does over $220 million in revenue. And if you head over to highlandprime.com, Sharon might even write you a check for your company and help you grow and exit. So that's highlandprime.com. Sharon also led Telus Properties' unprecedented 10x growth over five years and a four-year consecutive streak on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list resulting in its acquisition by national real estate powerhouse, Douglas Elliman. On this episode, we talk about how to start a business with your kids to encourage them to get into entrepreneurship. We talked about his thoughts on Elon Musk and Twitter and what that takeover means and what it looks like. We talked about so many other things in this episode, all about entrepreneurship, all about how to create world-class results for yourself in your life and in your family's lives as well. So please, if you do not know Sharon, check out this episode because I promise you, you're probably going to want to go over and give him a follow. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sharon Srivatsa. What's everybody? Welcome back to Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm sitting down with a longtime friend of the show, Mr. Sharon Srivatsa. Sharon, what's up, dude? Welcome. Super excited to be back with you. Yeah. So if you're watching this, you're listening to this right now, and you want to hear a little bit more about Sharon's background, because it's a fascinating background. Dumpster diving as a kid, crazy kind of rags to riches story, all the way through exiting a company for over $3 billion. um, Just crazy, crazy stuff in Sharon's background. So if you want to go check that out, episode 252 of the podcast. Remember, if you're a new listener of the show, the old show, was called Build Your Network. So when you go back there, don't let that throw you off. Uh, it was a Build Your Network episode 252, but it's on the same RSS feed. So head back in time and check that episode out, hear a little bit more about Sharon's story. But dude, I'm excited to catch up about everything that's been happening. Because last time we talked, I think you were still doing stuff in the real estate space. Yep. And now you're with Highland. Yep. Right. So can you kind of just catch us up on what happened in the last couple of years and what you're up to right now? Yeah. So after we, so we've had five exits in the last 19 years. And once you have a bunch of exits, People realize they only talk about the positive stuff. But you don't realize all the things that you did wrong. <laughs> and I actually would tell you, and you and I have had offline conversations about the things that we did wrong actually fueled a lot of the other growth. And it's sad that mm. the failures are not showcased in the most positive light. So what I realized was when I used to see other companies doing things, I would tell them, I'm like, hey, I did this. Yeah. I'm, I would highly recommend don't, not going down that path. And I saw a few companies that actually took the advice and they were like, hey, Sharon, so what would it take for you to coach or consult? And I didn't want the coach or consulting route. So we decided to build a private equity firm where we would not be majority partners, but only be minority partners. So Got our it. goal was to saying, hey, can we help businesses triple in size, get ready for an exit like we did, but only be minority partners? 
And so over the last five years, we have invested and helped operate as minority partners of close to two dozen companies right now. Okay. And all in the services field. And so getting them to connect it to the successes that we had, but also to avoid all the failures that we had. Yeah. But staying in the minority partner role has been a super cool thing for me because that way the founder gets to still drive it. It's their vision. Yeah. But instead of the coach or consulting route, being a partner, the energy is completely changed. Totally. Yeah. And it, it, as as a founder, that type of structure is something that I think a lot of people, a lot of people discount it, man, because like in your mind, you're like, but this is my baby. I don't want to give up this big chunk of, you know, whatever, whatever. And you, you tell yourself all these negative stories about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, I would way rather have somebody that's going to be shoulder to shoulder with me in the trenches yeah. and, and be there for like, if we're going on this rocket ship, you're with me. But if we crash and burn, you're also with me. Yeah. And there's something about that energy that's totally different than just like, here's money. Now give me advice totally. from both angles. Yeah. So yeah, I can, well, I can definitely appreciate it. you something super interesting, right? Early on, that was the play. And then I realized that several founders I would talk to saying, well, I built this so far. I'm kind of reluctant to give you a piece yeah. of this business, even though I know that you can bring a lot of value. So I changed my model early on where I said, I don't get the equity, even though I write the check, I earn it. Mm. And so meaning we set up very simple benchmarks over a three-year period as to what we need to hit. And it accrues invest, but until I hit that benchmark, I don't even earn the equity. Mm. So wow. I'm completely in all the way. So I still, it allows me to know that I have risk capital in the game. Sure. But the founders don't feel like Sharon's getting a free ride. Right, right. And that's been super helpful. What, what are you doing in terms of like top of funnel, like awareness around something like this existing? Because yeah. like li literally, bro, like if you told me this when I was starting a service-based business, I would have been like, uh, yeah, where do I sign up? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. like, how, how do you, how are you getting, spreading the word? Yeah. And are you conscious or mindful about like the sheer volume of companies that you bring on? Because you obviously can't say yes to everybody. That's right. So we're, we've continued to build the team to support the growth of the business. However, it's shocking. I have not sent one message, one email, one tweet, one video, not one thing promoting this <laughs> at all. Not one. The only way people actually find out about this is one of two ways. One way which you taught me, second way which I just started doing. The way you taught me was, hey, you should mention something on your podcast about it. Mm. So when I, somewhere in the podcast, I will tell a story, hey, I'm working with Travis, one of our partner companies. Let me tell you the story. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if you're interested in what we're doing, go to highlandprime.com and it'll tell you stories. Literally, there is a, if you're interested, go check this out. And the second is, there's just a link in bio on Instagram. And so when someone watches content and they find their way to the bio and they actually yep. click on it, we are getting at this time, it's not a lot, but we're getting a dozen to two dozen inbound, fully filled out applications per week. Wow. Per week. That's crazy. Yeah, with no promotion. No, no ad spend, Nothing. just pure like organic content yeah. that's helping people. Yeah. They see it. They're like, hey, let's do it. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. What type of content are you guys putting out? Like, what what is your what is your output schedule look like? Yeah, the output it's actually super simple. Our goal is to get three to five pieces a day. Okay. On TikTok as a testing ground, so we okay. do the same video with four different hooks on TikTok. Same video. Same video with just four different hooks. Intros, first five seconds on TikTok. Whichever performs the best, it goes on Reels. So that's one to two videos max a day on Reels. The same goes on YouTube Short. So gotcha. one to two videos a day max, but it's all. Hey, here's what I'm doing with the partners. Here's yeah. what we're doing with our founders. Just telling the story of kind of documenting what we're doing with them. If you could snap your fingers and have a million engaged followers on one single platform, but it meant that every other platform went to zero, yeah. which one would you pick? I would love to go to YouTube Shorts. I would mm -hmm. love for YouTube to just 
because I think that I'm amazed at the power of the YouTube search engine. Yeah. And Instagram has also gotten to the point, the other platforms have gotten to the point where it's very scrolly sure. and very swipey. But uh, as far as even like, I, well, I'm a big fan of Mr. Beast. And yeah. who isn't? It, it is. It is. <laughs> so I went to this Mr. Beast. Um, it was like a 30 person mastermind, yeah. maybe like four years ago. And Mr. Beast was going to be there. So I was like, I have to go to this to see what yeah. he says. For 90 minutes, he talked about thumbnails. Wow. The whole presentation was 90 minutes on thumbnails. Wow. And he goes, I could tell you various ways in which you can build and grow your channel, but you're missing the point. He goes, we obsess. He's like, we build 20, 30, 40 thumbnails. And once we like a thumbnail, we go build the video and the idea around it. I was like, that is crazy. Wow. And his, so there was a lot of people in the room that said, well, I'm thinking about starting my channel. He goes, don't start your channel. Your goal is to build a hundred thumbnails. Wow. And he goes, until you build a hundred thumbnails, don't make one video. And like, for someone like that, but you know, who just got offered a billion dollars for his channel yeah. to be able to give that advice, yeah. it's it's insane. Who just got offered and turned down and turned down a billion, a billion dollars. dollars. Yeah, and he's what, 23, 24, oh, so, something so like wild. that? Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. A hundred thumbnails before you even create a single video. That's, I mean, that's the whole thing that people don't see, Yeah, right? They see like this young kid YouTuber and just you you immediately you immediately go to all the reasons why you haven't done anything big you know what i mean and and so like you have to justify why this kid just got lucky yeah. at the end of the day it's just like no it's just before anybody else was even aware that youtube was going to be a thing <laughs> this kid was 13 years old obsessing about how to build the perfect thumbnail yeah. you know what i mean like not paying attention in school just thinking about thumbnails and then video content and then ideas and that's it and then yeah. every time he made money he just dumped it directly back into the growth yep. of the channel instead of like, oh, I made 12 grand this month. Let me go buy a car or <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, let, yeah. me, let me go get a fat payment on something. <laughs> and he even said, uh, he was on Joe Rogan recently. I listened to that episode and, um, and he, he was even saying that like, Joe basically was in the position that all of us are in, which is basically like as a 20, 21, 21 year old kid, you know, I think he's 23, 24 now, but when he started making good money, he was 18, 19, yeah. 20, like a, a young kid. He's like... Joe was amazed that he didn't get sucked into the traps of yeah. being a 20 year old kid with a ton of money and influence. Yeah. He was just like, how did you escape that basically? And he was just like, oh, I just figured out it didn't really matter to me. You know, like I did get a car and I did get this and that. And then, and then I, uh, uh, he said like someone broke into his house and stole a bunch of his stuff. And then he was just like, I just never replaced it after that. It made me realize how much I didn't care for it yeah. and didn't want it. And that I just want to keep making awesome videos. So then he just puts like, you know, that freaking uh, Squid Games Squid video, video yep. is like seven and a half, eight million dollars to produce a single video or something like that. It was like a full production. Yeah. But he's got 200 million subscribers plus across all of his channels now, you know? So well, like, the, how do you, you know, knock The crazy it? part there is when we are listening to something, a story like this, how do we learn from that, right? Yeah. And I always think about two things. The easiest two ways to upgrade our lives is control your environment and control the people in your environment. They're the easiest way. So if something, if, if we, you and I can get ideas on building a new show, I'm like, hey, let's let's pop, let's take a walk, let's change the environment, let's recontrol the environment. Mm. Or let's add Eric to this conversation because now you're controlling the people in the environment. So yeah. as soon as you upgrade the environment or upgrade the people in the environment, all the stuff that does not matter falls off the wagon very quickly. Because yeah. what people are doing now is they stuck, they go to social. They stuck, they watch more videos, they like they keep swiping and that does not change your environment or the people in your environment in any way. So yeah. if you can do, if anyone's stuck right now, just say, hey, 
can I upgrade my environment or can I upgrade the people in my environment? Yeah. So, so it's funny, funny bring that up because uh, there's one, there's one like productivity hack that you gave me a while back that I frankly still not have, still have not done it yet. But I feel like at any given time, just talking about it right now reminded me of it and I probably should do it. But you said like anytime I'm stuck and I, I can't, like I'm, I'm stuck on this idea or this concept, you're like, I've actually physically bought a plane ticket from here in Laguna with, you know, where, where you live. And I've, I've bought a plane ticket to go to Phoenix yeah. just because I like moving and that gets my brain moving and I like writing. Yeah. Well, the only way to really move and write at the same time effectively for me is to be in an airplane. Yep. So you literally buy a plane ticket, just a one, like a one day round trip flight yep. to Phoenix yep. and back just to like write ideas down and get stuff out of your head and like remove mental blocks. And I thought that was something Dude, that I, I, you would be shocked. I, I do that so often. Really? Because it's a one day, I fly, I fly yeah. back, just a backpack. I don't have to change my schedule in any way, right, right. which is good. Most people don't know this, but even when I record my podcast, I've got I've gone to solo shows now. Okay. And because now I just tell the stories of working with our partner companies. Yeah. I only record the shows when I'm driving. Oh, really? So I have a no. really good headset. Yeah. And I think about the podcast episode and I just get a cup of coffee and I drive until I record, finish recording the episode. And I turn around and I record the second one back. That's and hilarious. so I, all my episodes are recorded on the move uh, on the road. Yeah. yeah. That's so good, dude. So listen, I want to talk a little bit about, about parenting with you because I know this has been one of the most difficult, I think, things for me to tackle in the last couple of yeah. years is that, you know, I, my, my son's three and a half now, my daughter will be two in a couple of days. Yeah. And that by itself is a very difficult thing. Yeah alone on an island, just being a parent is really difficult. Yeah. But then you couple that with like having a startup, which is basically a more needy version of a baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like affects more people's lives because we have, you know, a 10 employees and a few contractors. And it's like, well, we, we have people to take care of. And like this baby has to be fed. So it feeds all the other people that are associated with that yep. one. But I also have these two over here. And then I have my wife. And then we have like, there's so many things. I got the podcast. We have another podcast for fun. It's like, how do you, how do you you tie in passion, entrepreneurship, parenting, and actually be able to still be there for your kid yeah. and not miss everything? I think the first thing is one, having the awareness like you have, because that's until you state it and, and understand that it's, it's, it's work, it's a skill yeah. that you need to learn. A lot of us learn the skill of parenting and then our kids are gone. That's <laughs> right. So it's like, I just got good at this and then, and they're gone. Right. Um, so with my coach, I talk to my coach two to three times a month, but okay. with my coach, we have one session dedicated to family, essentially parenting, one session dedicated to me and my wife and one session dedicated to the business. Okay, so this is like a life coach. Yeah, so she's a, she's a life business coach okay. um, and she's great. And the reason is that what we ended up talking about before was whatever was top of mind we would talk about before yeah. and say, and work through the, but now we've just themed our calls realizing that the domains are important and that each of the domains always need upgrades. Yeah. And when I have, when I know my next upcoming call is the parenting call, which is great. So I know that I know I'm going to level up in that area. So one thing that she, so that alone, just having the accountability, just, there, so, yeah. just knowing that I've got this dedicated time in the next call, I'm actually going to forcefully think of and talk about that, which is, which is really powerful. She gave me this idea last year and she said, Hey, so I have my son, Neil is 11. My daughter, Laura is six. Okay. And she said, you should have each, your wife and uh, Sharon, you and your wife should have separate individual projects with each of the kids. Mm. So you have individual relationships that you can talk with them about that the rest of the family is not a part of. Yeah. And I was like, well, does that feel like 
it is uh, uniting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah un- uniting or segregating the family. She's like, try it. So the project that I have going on with my son right now, my son is, he loves Rubik's cubes. Okay. He's solved, there are 14 different types of cubes and he solved every different type of cube by himself. Wow. And By himself. By himself, watching YouTube videos, he's, he's solved them. So he is teaching me how to solve a cube over the next 90 days. And so nice. all we do every single day, at night before he goes to bed, we spend five minutes and he teaches me an algorithm and we have that little bond. Yeah. But with my six-year-old daughter, I didn't have anything like to sink my teeth into. Sure. So I was talking to one of my best friends about it and he was like, hey, my daughter is similar too. We should do something together with our daughters. I said, okay, like what? And so we started talking about it. And my daughter, Laura, who's six, loves rainbows and unicorns. You're going to get there. But like, <laughs> like, I mean, I am not joking, Travis. Everything that we own has a rainbow or a unicorn on it. <laughs> everything, right? And so I said, wouldn't it be great to do something where, which involved rainbows and unicorn? Cause I know I can immediately grab her attention. Yeah. And as we were talking, I was like, well, what if there was a business we could invest in or buy that was unicorns related? So we did a bunch of research and last week we closed on a business called hundredunicorns.com. It's a <laughs> online e-commerce store that just sells unicorns products. That's fantastic. And we installed a six year old CEO. So my daughter, Laura, is a six-year-old CEO. A six-year-old CEO. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel right there, dude. <laughs> it is. She loves it so much because the first day when we closed on the business, she uh, we pulled up the inventory. It's So I, I can give you the business plan. Right now, it's a straight-up Shopify store with drop shipping. We hired an operator to bolt on uh, Amazon FBA and Walmart, and that process is happening right now. All that Laura and her now, my, my friend's daughter, do together is they just pick what products they like. So I'm going through the inventory and she's like, I would never buy that. I wouldn't, I like that. Can we do more of that? She's like, can I get that one? So when when you know that she (laughs) says, I want that lamp or I want that sticker, you know that it's a powerful thing. She's the ideal customer. 100%, right? And so now, last week I actually sent out the first email where it was Laura writing the email. Hey everybody, this is me, Laura. Parentheses, my dad's writing this because I don't know how to type. Like, it was so cool. And we sent that email out to a small database and we got purchases. Like, it is so cool. So now my conversations with my daughter is all about 100 unicorns and we get to talk about it. We have a completely different relationship about it. And she's like, hey, now whatever she sees, she's like, can I get that on the store? So back into the parenting thing, I think having something where you're working on a project with somebody, I think gets you deeper in yeah. relationship and rapport with them. Yeah. And now the rest of the family, my wife and my son, are not weirded out by it at all because they're like, oh, Sharon and Laura are working on that. Cool, let them work on that. Yeah. And they feel like it's a part of the overall conversation. So it's no different than me and my wife talking about some plans or me sure, and my son sure. talking about something else. So the, I think the individual relationships dramatically increases like love, transparency, rapport, and working on something together. Yeah. So the big lesson for me is one, could we think about parenting constantly in some in some regular schedule? And two, yeah. if the by doing work on it, having a project related to it feels like you can develop it some more. Yeah. So if you're a parent and you want to foster entrepreneurship with your kid, then just rewind <laughs> and go back and listen to that clip a couple of times. You said you did research to find this unicorn business. Uh, For somebody who is not in private equity and constantly looking at deals and buying businesses and uh, taking equity in companies and advising, and they're listening to this and they're like, that's an awesome idea, but I have no idea how to even find a business like that or negotiate terms. Like, what would your recommendation to them be? Was this like a marketplace deal? Did you like, where did did you find it and how did it come about? Yeah, it came across uh, very randomly through a friend. Uh, So it came across very randomly. But if someone knows exactly what they're looking for, my favorite thing, is to just ask your network. 
Mm. I mean, you're the build your network guy, like literally post on yeah. Facebook and say, hey, I'm looking to buy or invest in a pancake house business. Does anybody know any pancake houses around the country? Yeah. Like you'd be shocked as to how many people can connect the dots for you. And when the ask is so unique and specific, yeah. people will share it and want to help you, et cetera. We are, we, we have no idea the depth of connections in our network that can find the most sure. strangest of things. So that's number one. There are a couple of websites like flippa.com and things like that that are okay. out there. If you just Google how to, you know, buying an e-commerce business online, there's a lot of sites out there. Yeah. My suggestion is if we're, if you're thinking about buying a business, you have two options. Number one is at least find an attorney that has done a deal like that, that can at least guide you yeah. through the guideposts around it. An M&A attorney. M&A attorney. And those deals are generally smaller, so you yeah. don't need someone, you know, fancy, but they just need to have had experience buying the business size that you had. But, the, but I actually like talking to business brokers about this stuff because- yeah while business brokers in various niches have gotten weird kind of wraps, they know how to find a business, terms of negotiating Structure a business. Deal, yeah, yeah, just you need, I think having an advisor on things like this is really good because otherwise you're writing a check on something that you can't find, et cetera. Yeah, right. But I will tell you, man, we are overlooking the fact that many businesses sell today for zero money down. That's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna ask about next. Yeah. yeah. So explain explain that. Why is that? Because that like I think you just blew a bunch of people's minds right now because they're listening to this and they're like, I can't afford to buy a business. Like yeah. Sharon's exited companies. Yeah. He's got money to play with. Yeah. I like I'm working at you know whatever yeah. the Walgreens warehouse down yeah. the street. Sure. Like sure. you know loading boxes. Like what do I do with this? Yeah. So explain that. So the interesting part is most businesses in the U.S. are jobs for people yeah and the sooner we understand that the sooner we can understand that buying a business for no money down is just a mindset there are tons of people out there the first thought that they have running a, a hvac business or a stonemasonry business is they're thinking okay i am getting to my 50s i'm making up numbers yeah i'm tired i'm done i'm just going to shut it down yeah that's what they think they're just going to shut it down no the average business owner does not think that they're going to sell their business in any way. Right. So in fact, and if they do, they probably can't. They don't know, they can't yeah. and they don't know how, yeah. right? I have real estate agents who are they'll work their entire careers in their real estate business and they'll say, "I'm done. I'm just going to move to Napa." I go, "Wait, you like your income just stopped, <laughs> yeah. right? So right. you have to work twice as hard in your yeah. last 10 years to save up and then you don't you don't have this big network database that you built." Most businesses can and will, are very open to selling for zero money down. But it's all about terms. If you get zero money down, you're just telling at some point, someone is financing the business. Either cash is financing the business, a bank is financing the business, or Travis, the owner, is financing the business. Yeah. All we need to think about is at some point, someone is financing the business. It doesn't have to be cash. It doesn't have to be the bank. It can be Travis, the seller, and we call it seller financing. Yeah. Most of the times what sellers want is they'll say, hey, Sharon, I've been doing this business for a while, like 100unicorns.com. I've not put a lot of effort into it. You guys are going to market it. You guys are going to write emails. You're going to get at Amazon FBA and all of that. Awesome. How about for the next 24 months, pay me five grand a month? And if they do that and they're out. Yeah. So we... Uh, and a lot of times the business will be making the amount that they're asking for. Correct. So it's like... You just pay them out of cash flow. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. And people will ask, well, why would they walk away from the cash flow? Well, very simply is they're delivering their time to right oh. now and we take over that, but we're committed to paying them that. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a great story. Jason Capital and I, who you know, Jason Capital and I wanted to, wanted to buy, he has a marketing agency and he wanted a front-facing Instagram page to drive more traffic to the marketing agency. And I was like, 
well, let's go buy a page. And he goes, I've, I have four pages picked out that I would really like. I go, okay. So I just DM the page owners directly. And I said, hey, would you be open to something like this? Like, I've never thought about this. Let's talk about it. Travis, we didn't even get on the phone. We did this whole conversation on Telegram, right? We, and then don't know who this person is. This person was in the UK. We bought, we did the whole transaction in 37 minutes using Bitcoin. We <laughs> bought the business with like 30, 40 grand of Bitcoin down. Yeah. And we had a, a third party escrow. The guy came into the Telegram chat, actually negotiated the contract for us, which I didn't know that you had third party Telegram escrow. <laughs> yeah. We never even met the seller, <laughs> handed over the credentials to us, released the monies to him or her. I don't even know if it's a girl or boy, released the wow. monies to him or her. And then we pay them over time as the page generates revenue. So wow. we bought a business for in 37 minutes using Bitcoin. So I just wired from wallet to wallet. Like I did yeah. a wallet to wallet transfer. So you can buy stuff. I would actually say, ask, just assume that almost all businesses are available for sale for zero money down. Yeah. I, I feel like I was talking to, talking to somebody about this recently. I was like, in the next few years, I really want to increase the number of like businesses that I, that I bring on that are just... They're just producers. I, at least I used to think this way. I used to think that like, if I'm going to be a successful business owner, I have to invent the next Facebook. Like, I have to come up with Angry Birds. I have to do something. Like, I have to be an, like an inventor, an innovator. I got to do Tesla. I have to, I have to build something huge and, and amazing. It's like you don't realize that like, in your town, wherever you live, there's a bunch of boomers that are getting ready to retire. Yep. And this recession is going to hit a lot of people really hard. And the people who've been working with these this chain of three laundromats for the last 25, 30 years in their local area and have been busting their tail for that long working on these laundromats, they want to be done. Yes. And if they're the only one running it, then there's no structure in place. They're not going to be able to have a big exit or acquisition. They're just looking at it, like you said, is like, well, I guess we're just going to shut down. It actually you costs know? them money to close the business. So they keep it running and be resentful about it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And then they have to keep working it right. because nobody else is going to. So I, I, I think in the next, to your point, the next two to three years, as the recession gets worse and worse over the, like really the next like eight quarters, I think there's going to be uh, it's going to be ripe with opportunity with people who are just like, look, I'm done. Please take this off of my hands and whatever. I'm open to whatever you want to talk about. Dude, I will tell you the craziest story. My my friend is a real estate agent in Chicago. He helped this fam this Korean family sell their family home yeah. in a normal real estate transaction. In the transaction that the family, the husband and wife, older couple, took such a liking to my friend. They said, hey, I'd love for you to show you our business and our warehouse. And so he's like, of course. So he goes and shows them. Their, so they are in their, uh, they import t-shirts. The couple is telling him the story saying, we've been looking for somebody to give this business to. We will give this to you. We will give you this business. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory. We will give you the inventory as in you don't have to pay for it. As in when you sell it, you can pay us back for the inventory. We will stay on for the next 12 months and teach you how to run this. Wow for zero money out of pocket, Yeah. right? And so that was just because this couple saw something they loved about like a son in, in my friend yeah. and they yeah. offered him the business, the money- And, and the education. And, and the yeah. education to right. do it. Right. So like, what a risk, this is like, and, and my friend was like, does this happen often? I go, when you put yourself in situations and you're yeah. open to this, yeah, right. it totally does. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with 
Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, so there's um, so much m and activity going on right now. And I think it's going to, like I said, I think there's going to be a ton of consolidation that happens over the next couple of years. And I think that's historically proven in yep. recessions. People that shouldn't be in business get out of business and they look for other opportunities and they just want to be done. Or there's a lot of potential for aqua hires and yep. bringing people into the company. But there's also been a couple of um, really big things happening in that space recently that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on yep. as a private equity guy. Elon and Twitter, what's your take? Dude, someone had to do something, right? If you take politics aside, whether it's Elon or not, he has shown from a track record perspective that he can he can build a great business yeah. simultaneously doing other things. So yeah. he he and and the the funny part is like there's a recent memo about hey, you guys need to step it into high gear to build Twitter 2.0. What else do you expect? Right, 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 right. Like now it's now it's a bad it's thing. It's demonized. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm like, he's showing up and saying, hey. I bought this business. I have a different vision for it. Right. Like we're going to, we're going to bust it. Get on board or don't. Yeah. Either way, fine. But if you're staying, stay. Right. And let's build something. And he said, and he was very generous. He's like, but those are in, they're in and those are out. I'll happily pay you whatever severance you want to go. We're building a new business. Yeah. yeah, And it was higher than average, like higher than normal severance. Or something of severance, right? Which he does not have to offer anybody. Right. And so I have two kind of big questions, kind of thoughts around this. Number one is, I don't know his his strange alien intentions. Like Elon's not human, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he's just, he's, you, you, you can't do what you do. But I yeah. don't know his kind of broader intentions, but I do appreciate the fact that he sees that he can do different things. Yeah. Even the whole, even the whole blue check and pay for it, et cetera. Yeah. As a business person, I don't mind it yeah. because he's experimenting. Right. And suddenly now that caused a lot of pain where it, backfired. Yeah. Okay, great. You put it out there. You yep. learn, do yep. something different with it right. as opposed to the opposite of not doing anything with it. So it was immediate action. 
Exactly. And and then that's the thing about guys like him that people don't understand is like, you can sit there and criticize him all day long, but people like that don't wait for a panel of experts to give them their opinion because the only real feedback they're going to get is the real-time feedback of taking action and seeing a result, getting that feedback, and then going, let's alter course and change direction. But if you just sit there going like, I wonder what we should do for six months and you're losing $3 million a day or whatever they were losing, it's like, that's how you you know, go bankrupt. Well, I think, I think that, I think you mentioned some of those so cool, the best entrepreneurs that I know. And so the, the, one of the three criteria that we look for in the founders that we invest in are, you know, impeccable character from an integrity perspective. We call it reflective awareness. They're, they're coachable. And the third is this one is supercharged ambition. If I can't see supercharged ambition, I'm out Mm. because I'm a minority partner plugging and supporting someone's supercharged ambition. Mm. And I think the resulting force of someone's supercharged ambition is their ability to obsess over getting something done so fast. Mm. Elon had an idea. He said, we're going to do it. Three days after they did it, they actually built, like that is crazy from an execution perspective. Especially in a company of that size. Totally. To be able to move that quickly is unprecedented. And and it's not adding a different like button, right? right? This is a fundamental product change. Change of the business model. It's crazy, right? right? So I respect the fact that he's moving fast. And and I think we, when you do that, you will get a better platform. I, you know, you get, you go from not doing great to more regulation to something in the middle, which is better. The second thing that I'm ultra curious about, which other, a lot of people had thoughts around is, well, how did he buy it? Yeah. And there was so much poo-pooing around like, Hey, he, he pledged his Tesla stock to do this and he borrowed money. I'm like, Yes. <laughs> like, what, like, what, like, which action are we demonizing yeah, here? This, like, this is, this is how the, deals get done. Right. And so right. I, I always go back to financing. Okay? Somebody has to finance something. Right. You either use cash to finance something, some form of bank loan in some way to finance something, or the seller takes a note and you finance it another way, right? Zero money down. Some form of it. Well, what all that Elon did was instead of writing a check with cash, he said, I have all this Tesla stock. Merrill Lynch or whoever was willing to lend him money on it. And he did it. In fact, he is on the hook for all the stock movement. He has to pay a fee on all of that. Like he, if you and I had the stock, we would do the same thing. But I actually think you and I can do the same thing, which is, that's what we call a home equity line of credit. Right. 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 So if you had another $20,000 available, you can borrow it. They don't, no one asks you what it is. Right. And then you, you can, can take loans against your IRA. You can take loans against 401k. You can take loans against your stock portfolio. That is like, exactly as right. a regular person. You don't have to have, you know, two hundred billion dollar net worth to take <laughs> loans against your stock. That is exactly it happens right. all the time. That's the flip that I want to kind of. I've been sharing with the, our founders is it is not about cash for a rainy day. Mm. It is about always knowing you have access to cash. Mm. And I think that's a big difference. So totally. uh, several of my friends, I'm a big fan of this idea of infinite banking, which is using yeah. life insurance policies, whole life, policy, whole life yeah. policies as a container for holding on to wealth and transferring wealth. But the idea there is you shove more money into life insurance policy, but it is your bank. It is your bank. You're your own banker now. You can borrow from your policy. When I borrow from my policy, I just tell the insurance company how much to send and when. Yeah. There is no question around anything. I can right. just borrow from my policy. Let me see your income statement. There's none <laughs> yeah. of that, right? And so if we can flip our mindsets to, I don't need to be sitting on cash. And I yeah. always tell a lot of our founders, you're sitting on, pick a number, $500,000 of cash. That is lazy cash. You're doing that just because you have this feeling of security right. that you need 500 grand. It may not solve any reason, but yeah. it's lazy cash. It's not 
the cash that's the problem is the access to cash. And I think what Elon solved was, he goes, yes, I could write a check. I could go take my Tesla stock, liquidate it, pay taxes on all of that, right. and then write the check to buy Twitter. Or I can just borrow against it in a completely tax-efficient transaction. Right. So he flipped the difference between having cash and access to cash. And I think that's what I want people to learn is access to cash is the flex. Yeah, Cash yeah. is not the flex. Sure, sure, right. I mean, zero... Zero wealthy people I know are just sitting on a bunch of like piles and piles of cash, like Scrooge McDuck. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like that's not happening. It's they they all have it invested. Uh, it was funny, a buddy of mine. I don't know if you know Chris Noggle. His whole business is preaching the whole life infinite banking yeah. concept. And uh, that was one thing that he that he brought up was about the the whole FTX crash that happened. And he was talking about that and was just like, if these investors had their money in FTX, but had not actually had their money in FTX but had it in a whole life policy and took the loan against it and put it in FTX, they'd be sitting in a much different position. Yeah. And on that note, I'm curious to hear, there's a lot of people that are hearing a bunch of stuff about, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried and, and, and FTX and this whole crash and this, you know, fraud investigation and, you know, the mini Madoff as they're, call, yeah. as they're calling them and stuff. Can you like break it down? So a layman that doesn't understand any of this stuff that doesn't really, has not dabbled in this world. Can you yeah. break down what happened with FTX? Yeah. So the, the interesting part, if you actually completely zoom out, instead of thinking about FTX, anything crypto related, the easiest way is to think about it as the NASDAQ or the stock market. Okay. So thing that we already know, my favorite way of trying to understand a concept is, hey, what is this like? Hmm. And in a lot of ways, it's just like a stock market exchange. What does a stock market do? The stock market is a, like a NASDAQ, is a market maker. They bring buyers and sellers together. Now, it generally works because there are some buyers and some sellers and the stock market kind of brings the match together and their job is to bridge and make the market. Sometimes if there's crazy news in the economy, there's terrorist attack, et cetera, they stop trading in all, all exchanges. There's a reason for that because you can't make the market anymore. There is a mismatch between the number of sellers of the stock or the market and the number of buyers. So there's what they call, there's not enough liquidity to manage the transaction. When the market's in balance, everyone's okay. And crazy events put things out of balance. And when you don't have, but our stock markets are so mature that they know how to halt trading. They know how to pause things. They know they have regulatory stuff. While I'm a free market capitalist, some form of regulation is good for things like this because you yeah. don't see stuff just breaking, right? And the reason why FTX is like in the Bahamas or in the Caymans or wherever it was, I can't remember exactly, but they were not able to short circuit the buys and the sells, and so it starts to break down, right? And for me, it's like, well, why? Why did that happen? Because there's not enough like baseline borderline regulation around it, and yeah. it's just not mature enough. Yeah. So in, in a very base level, we have to allow, like this crypto economy, even though it's been around for a little bit, yeah. I'm sorry, it's young. It oh, is yeah. so yeah. it is so young. The average person doesn't even know what pancake swap is, yeah. right? And yeah. I can't believe I know what it is because <laughs> you know. But it's but most people are like, I'm going to go buy Bitcoin on Coinbase. Like that is their their kind of exposure to all of this. Yeah. But knowing that as these as the exposure to this asset class grows, we need a little bit of regulation to ensure that Absolutely. markets work and stay in balance. Otherwise, you're going to have crashes and exchanges. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's when I, I don't have, I don't know all the details around what happened to him or whether he did the mini Madoff, et cetera. But what I am concerned about is how can we use the learning of this to saying, hey, this happened, yeah. a bunch of people got affected. Can we put mini regulation in place so that this doesn't happen again? 
But I think the uh, the next iteration of this, I feel ter- terrible that some people really struggle financially on this one, but that's a big learning because if that did not happen, we would not have yeah. the courage to build the next better FDX. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people learned a lesson the hard way. And unfortunately, and the hard part about it is like, there's probably a lot of really, really smart people that lost a lot of money on it yes. too. You know, I mean, including all the people that invested in the last round. I mean, they raised a massive, massive round. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and then it turns out he was just spending the money himself yeah. and doing whatever he wanted to do, donating to political campaigns and and not actually using the money but to even fundamentally that goes back like like a you know, like a Google can't do that, right? Yeah, right, right. And right. so the there's like, a board, there's yes. yeah, even inside of the company, there's there's company governance and there's like there's checks and balances in the company, not even in like the industry. Right. So like this was a, a weird situation where the industry is not regulated very well. Correct. And the company was also not regulated very well. There's like three people controlling a company that's worth what twenty billion or something like but that. I, I know this is this is a this could be a strange conversation. Whenever I think of stuff like this, I immediately think of what else is it like? Yeah. So several of I have several contacts in here in the state of California where cannabis is legal, mm-hmm. right? Just just a, the the recreational cannabis, and there was a huge cannabis industry. And how it started off originally was the whole marijuana trade was the fact that it was all black market. It was not allowed. It was completely illegal. Mm. So buyers and sellers of they call it flour. Buyers yeah. and sellers of flour, if they ever reneged on a trade, they'd get shot, <laughs> right? Like they would die. There's some regulation they, for you. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> and then when this halfway regulation came in, they call it the gray market. So it's not completely, you know, yeah. white, but it's the gray market. Now what's happening is now it's somewhat regulated Yeah. and they have one governing body, they have taxes, et cetera. But now I actually have buyers and sellers of cannabis that I talked to. They're like, no one cares anymore because lead as in the gun was the regulatory governance tool. Now it's not. So mm. in the last six to 12 months, cannabis pricing has plummeted in California because everyone's like, what are you gonna do, shoot me? And what's interesting is that market around the country from a state by state perspective or whatever is going through some structural changes. Until yeah. we get those structural changes, we're not gonna be able to do see that business flourish in some way because the average public person utilizing the service or investing in it has no confidence. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the big issue. So the lesson is go buy weed in California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had no idea. But what I learned was that when he told me, he goes, governance was by the gun. I yeah. was like, now I get it. Makes it. total sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, listen, dude, I, I don't want to keep you here forever. I know you got a family, you got businesses to run and everything like that. Before we take off, where do you want people to go connect with you a little bit more? I started this private podcast. Which is big. I'm a subscriber. Yeah, so, it's yeah. been it's plug been, away. It's been super cool because I didn't know how to get quick ideas and lessons from my head out to our partner companies. Yeah. And so it's called 10K Wisdom. And the idea is how do I get 10 minutes worth of knowledge out? Everything under 10 minutes, no intro, no outro, just 10 minutes worth of raw, real knowledge out to folks. And I originally built it for our partner companies only because I would say I would come out of a meeting with Travis and I say, I have this idea. I would record it really quick. I would upload on the podcast and it would be super simple and private. And one of my partners said to me, he goes, dude, you're already recording this. Why don't you just give this to the world? This makes no sense that yeah. you're holding this back. So uh, recently we opened it up. Uh, it is still private, but you yeah. can get the access to the feed. It's 10kwisdom.com, 10kwisdom.com, totally free. So if you like this show with Travis, I know you'll you'll like that too. Absolutely, yeah. If there's, if there's anybody, there, there's a few people that I, I tell people in my circles, bro, I was just like, 
There's a few like super underrated entrepreneurs that everybody should follow. And Sharon is definitely one of them. If you're listening to this and you don't know who this guy is and you are in business, you're doing yourself a disservice by not listening to some of the stuff that he's putting out there, especially if you're an operator or a CEO. Like I've, I was not a CEO before I started this company. You know what I mean? I was just like a solopreneur. I was just a hustler, a sales guy, a podcaster. I wasn't, I wasn't any of that. And so there was a steep learning curve for me. And one of the number one resources that I always linked back to was, was 10K Wisdom. So um, I, I appreciate you for coming on. If you're listening to this right now, go to 10kwisdom.com and subscribe over to, to Sharon's uh, private podcast over there. And I know that you'll come away with some, some awesome lessons. So dude, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.